Well, hey, good morning, Frontline. Really happy to be with you. My name is David. If you don't know me, if you haven't been here with us online in this format before, uh, but I'm the teaching pastor here at Frontline and also for The Collective, which is a group of other churches that we just come together. So really excited and grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, I remember when I was younger, there was one class that I loved until a certain week, and it was gym class. And the week that I hated was pull-up week. I don't know if you guys had to do this when you were younger or middle school or high school or whatever, um, but I was always a big kid. I never really had an issue in the size department. I just, I was always bigger. I was always taller. I was never faster, but... Uh, something what was funny just about middle school or high school was it, it didn't matter what machine I would be on if it was a legs machine I would max out the machine I felt big I felt strong I felt capable right but as soon as the pull-ups came into play as soon as upper body strength started coming into play all of a sudden I had way more weight to carry and to lift than any other kid in my class and so I remember hanging on the pull-up bar over and over and over it was year after year after year of just hanging there no matter how much I tried no matter how much I willed no matter how much I wanted it deep down in my spirit I just could not do more than a couple pull-ups and I remember the feeling that always came with it and the feeling was weakness I just felt weak, and because I felt weak, I hated it. I hated pull-up week. As soon as they started pulling out the clipboard and I knew what week it was, I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to be anywhere else. I just let me go first so I can set the bar that everybody else can beat and just get out of the way. So I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you have something like that in your life or a story or a situation or a quality maybe that you're just not quite as good at as other people around you, but if you're anything like me, I just run from those situations. I hide from them, I hate them, I ignore them, or I deny them. But here's the thing, there's an important truth that we're gonna jump into and study today in the passage that I, I think God has for us. And the important truth is this, what if I told you that true strength comes through weakness? True strength actually comes through weakness. We're going to jump in. We're going to read a story together. But before I do, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're getting right towards the end of the series here. We're tracking through the life of Jesus. It's Passion Week. And so Jesus and the disciples, they're in Jerusalem where Jesus is eventually going to be turned over to be arrested, tried, and crucified. So Jesus is hours away from being turned over, from being betrayed. And so he takes his disciples. They go to the upper room. All 12 of them are there, and they enjoy the Last Supper together. And then Jesus leaves and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And they head out to the garden and it's in the garden that Jesus comes before his father pleading with his father. Check this out. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Here's a big line. We need to hear this. The spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. You know, this is actually one passage that I actually really appreciate, that I actually really like in this story because it actually reminds me that the disciples aren't on the same level of Jesus as maybe I often look at them or or maybe forget that they aren't. Uh, Oftentimes, I think as I read through Scripture and I see some of the things that different disciples do and and ways that they preach and ways that they live and where they go, I just, I put them on the same level, the same pedestal as Jesus, but it's moments like this in Jesus' deepest distress, in his darkest hour and time of need, when he asks his disciples for one simple thing, and that one thing is just pray for me and pray for you. Pray pray that you don't fall into temptation. The one moment that Jesus needs them most, they drop it. They screw it up. They fall asleep. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. They're, they're in a city surrounded with millions of people that they're all coming in to celebrate the Passover. Jesus kind of stirred a lot of pots in the city, and so he made a lot of people angry and upset. They've been moving place to place to place, and now it's late at night, and they are exhausted. And Jesus says, hey, just come with me in this dark, quiet, secluded garden where I'm going to go over here and pray. I'm going to leave you here. It says their eyes were heavy and they fell asleep. They couldn't even do the simple thing that Jesus had asked them to do. And I like that, that this comes through in the sermon or that this comes through in this passage is because it reminds me the disciples are like me or rather I'm just like them. I still fall short. I still have weakness. And despite my good intentions, despite my desires deep down in my soul, my flesh is still weak. And like hanging on that pull-up bar, I can't will it to change. I can't will it to happen on my own. So here's where we're at. The disciples fall asleep. They're tired. Jesus comes back and it says he comes back a couple different times. We're going to read that just in a little bit. But Jesus comes back three different times saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. Please pray. The time is near. It's approaching. Please wake up. And and here's a question I just want to ask you. Do you ever feel like the disciples in that moment in your life? Like, do you ever feel like no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do to change, no matter what I affect or change or do differently, no matter what I do, I can't change my circumstances. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that's you? Do you ever feel just weak to the point that you go, I, I just can't change it? Maybe it's true. Like, maybe you feel that way. I wrote a couple examples. Maybe you feel that way, like, as a spouse. Maybe say, man, my mom or my dad was a great spouse, and so I want to be like them, but now I find myself in my marriage, and, and I just can't. I'm just different than them, or I think differently than them, or I deal with conflict differently than them. And so no matter how hard I try, I continue to fall short. Maybe it's as a parent. Maybe you had a parent or, or a father figure or a mother figure growing up that you just loved and you wanted to emulate. And no matter how hard you try and no matter what you do, there's certain things that just keep bubbling to the surface that stop you from doing what you sincerely and deeply want to do. Maybe it's as a friend, maybe it's as a son or a daughter, but there's something that constantly keeps getting in the way of you doing what you actually desire to do. It's the same as the disciples. Jesus even acknowledged it, and he said to them, I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Maybe you've had that type of relationship with God. I could certainly look at different seasons of my life where 
man, I've tried harder and harder and harder to build and develop an intimacy with him, to build regular disciplines in my life and to spend time in prayer and in fasting and in worship. And I just feel so close that nothing can separate. And then just as easily, there've been seasons in my life where the opposite is true. It seems like I can't get into regular disciplines or it seems like sin just keeps winning the day or it seems like relationships around me are just broken and things are getting worse and worse and worse. And no matter what I do and no matter how hard I try and no matter what circumstances I affect or I try to change, nothing changes the reality that I'm just as weak, if not even weaker, than when I had originally started. I just want to ask, does that strike a chord with anybody today? Like anybody sitting at home watching this, do you ever just feel like no matter what I do or how hard I try or what I change, it doesn't actually change me? That I don't actually get stronger at many of the things that I'm weakest at, especially spiritually. In fact, sometimes it almost seems like it does more damage. Like I move backwards rather than forward. I just want to tell you, I've spent most of my life trying to outrun and outperform my weakness, things that I know to be true about me, things that I know about how I relate to other people, things I know that come out of woundedness from my own life, whether it's from parents or friendships or broken relationships all over the place. It doesn't matter what it is. I I realize these things are so deeply ingrained that the brokenness is so deeply ingrained inside of me. Sometimes it seems like no matter what I do, I can't change it. Do you ever feel like that? The disciples, I just love this, the harder they try to stay awake, (laughs) doesn't it seem like the sleepier they become? In this story, again, we'll read this in just a second, but Jesus comes back a second and a third time. Can't you just imagine, like, the more you try to not think about sleep, the sleepier you get. Right? Maybe you've tried a diet before, and you say, man, the more I think about food, like I just don't eat it, I'm on a diet, I'm being behaved, I'm making good decisions. Isn't it true? The more you think about it, the more you actually do the opposite of what you really intend to do. Or, or maybe it's working out. Man, the more I think about working out, the more I really don't want to. The more I think about when I have to go back to the gym when all this stuff opens, the less I want to keep the membership that I have right now. I don't know what it is for you, but but isn't it true that oftentimes the more you think about the thing you want to change, the harder to change it actually becomes. So that's the disciple. This is where they're at right here. And the question I just want to ask as we think about our relationship with God, is that what following Jesus is all about? I mean, really, is that what following Jesus is really about? Trying harder, doing more, affecting anything and everything we can in our own power and in our own strength to get what we really desire. Is that really what following Jesus is all about? Or is there something greater going on underneath that? Does God intend to give us something deeper, something much more valuable? Does God invite or intend to invite us into a much different type of relationship that's not dependent on our work ethic or our ability to change or our ability to act or our ability to whatever? Maybe it has something more to do with him. So I don't know about you or I don't know 
what you've done maybe the last couple of weeks of the quarantine, but here's what I've loved. Uh, I've loved the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, if you don't know what this is or if you haven't heard of it yet, uh, it's a documentary series put on by ESPN all about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan's stint in the NBA. And uh, I'm a true Chicagoan. I grew up in Chicago. I love Chicago. I remember being a Bolts fan early, early, early on. One of the first sports uh, events that I ever got to go to was the Chicago Bulls. I was in like the 17th row. Somebody gave us the tickets. And so I remember being there. I remember seeing Michael Jordan on TV and watching. I mean, I just, I loved Michael Jordan. I've loved the Bulls and I've loved this series. But here's the thing. Uh, it's unpacking a whole different layer and a whole different level of the Bulls and Michael Jordan that I never realized or that I never saw. And it's that behind the scenes look. But in 1989, Michael Jordan had this chip on his shoulder. 1989, they made it to the semifinals. So the Chicago Bulls were facing none other than the Detroit Pistons. And so they're in the semifinals and Michael wants nothing more than to beat the Pistons, who there was already a, a friction type of relationship between the Pistons and the Bulls. But Michael wanted to beat them because a championship would put him in the same realm and the same level as some of the other greats like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And so Michael wants to beat them, but Michael was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he was unbelievable. He would go in, it wouldn't be abnormal for Michael to score a third to half of the team's points. He was unbelievable at what he did. But Detroit figured out a way to win against the unstoppable Michael. Here's what they did. They created different rules on defense just for him. They said, if we want a chance to win this series, if we want a chance to win a title and go on to compete, we need to stop Michael. So we don't let him shoot. We don't let him jump. We don't let him get close to the rim. We're going to double team. We're going to triple team. We're going to foul him. We're going to do whatever we can to stop Michael. Because if we can stop Michael, we can stop everybody. Here's the thing. It worked. It worked. The Chicago Bulls, their greatest strength in Michael Jordan actually became their greatest weakness. Because when Michael was taken out of the game, just due to injury or due to tiredness or fatigue or just due to his inability to perform and do what he needed to do, there was nothing Michael could do to change it. You realize that? He, he couldn't will it. He couldn't change it. When you start doing one on two and one on three, you're going to lose. And so Detroit figured it out. And believe it or not, Detroit won the games, Detroit won the series, and Detroit ended up winning the championship. But there was something greater at play, and this is why I love this, this is why I share this with you, because there was a greater truth that Michael needed to understand and the Bulls franchise needed to understand if they were ever gonna go on to win a championship. And the same truth that they had to realize is the same truth that we have to realize, and it's this, great strength comes through weakness that Michael standing on his own and performing as his own player or his own part of the team, Michael's inability to share and inability to work as a team and inability to invite others to be in, Michael in his intent and focus on being the one man show prohibited his team from doing what they were there to do. You guys, the same thing is true for us. Do you realize that, that so many of us live life 
that we go through life and we go through marriage and we go through parenting, we go through school, we go through work, we, we go through our entire lives, every different facet. And so often we believe that the key to winning, the key to improving, the key to changing, the key to, to change deeply, to do exactly what we want to do, the key to doing that is by doing it all on our own to run from weakness, to run towards strength, and to overcompensate and outperform and outrun that which slows us down. And what Jesus said to his disciples in this garden, hours before he was turned over to be basically convicted in a fake trial that wasn't legitimate, passed on to the government authorities, and then eventually crucified. It was in that moment that Jesus was teaching his disciples something so important, something key, not just to their thriving and their understanding of who he is, but also in their understanding of themselves. And the key is this, when we stand on our own, we are just weak. Jesus says the spirit is willing, right? Our hearts are willing. No one's questioning our motives. Our, our hearts are willing, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is truly weak. And so just like Michael and the bulls, what Jesus is extending us is an offer not to do it by ourselves, but to do it together with him. And some of you probably know this, or maybe all of you know this. Chicago Bulls went on to win, I think, six different titles led by Michael Jordan, because Michael, as a result of that, learned it can't be just about him but it has to be about inviting others into the process. And that is so true in our walk and our relationship with the Lord, that it is not about our strength that draws us closer to him in an intimate sort of relationship. It's actually our weakness. So check this out. We're going to keep reading here. This is Mark chapter 14, verse 39. This is the rest of the story. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Do you ever feel like that's you? you ever feel like God comes back or you come back to him and you just go, I, I don't know what to say. I just, I fell asleep again. And maybe falling asleep for you means I, I checked out of my marriage again. Maybe falling asleep means, you know, I just stopped being a parent. I just unloaded. I just went, you know what, I'm done. Maybe, maybe falling asleep means checking out at your job, doing just enough to skate by. Maybe checking out is a sin pattern that you've just allowed to win in your life. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but, but I think you would know what it is for you. And there's been different seasons even in my life where falling asleep meant different things. And I didn't know what to say when I... <laughs> then encountered God again. But here's the thing. In verse 41, it says, returning the third time, Jesus said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It was at that moment that Judas came in, that Jesus was arrested, Jesus was tried, and then hours later, Jesus would be hung on a cross in front of all to see that no one could do anything about. No one could change. Disciples had scattered. Disciples had fled. Disciples had hid. Jesus was all alone. And I can't help but think I have so much more in common with the disciples 
than I even realized. That in different seasons of my life, seasons where my flesh got in the way of what my spirit wanted. I wanted to be a better husband. I wanted to be a better son. I wanted to be a better parent. I, I wanted to be a better worker or friend or disciple or pastor, whatever it was. I wanted to be a better child of God's, and I didn't, and I dropped it, and I fell asleep. It's seasons like this that I'm reminded I'm just like the disciples that walked with Jesus because here's, that's not the end of the story. There's one more piece that I want to share with you, and it's this. There was something revealed about humanity that night in the garden by Jesus, and it's this. People are weak. People are prone to sin, and by ourselves, we can never work hard enough or do enough to overcome our weakness spiritually, regardless of our heart's desire to. I don't know if you're watching at home or if you're in your kitchen or if you're in your bedroom or whatever, but I think that probably deserves an amen from you at home. If that's you, say amen, because that's so true for me. There's nothing I can do to beat and overcompensate and outperform and outrun my spiritual weakness on my own. There's literally nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. But is it possible that God, knowing the human condition and the weakness of the flesh, provided a way when there was no way. Check this out. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter to the Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And in this passage, it says, God literally gave Paul like, like a thorn in his side, something that just kept plaguing him over and over and over and over. And so he kept coming to the Lord over and over and over saying, God, please take this from me. Please remove it. Please remove this stumbling block. Please remove this uh, temptation. Please remove this pain. Whatever it was, he doesn't tell us. But I think it's important because it was causing weakness. So I'm, also, I'm almost glad he didn't tell us what it was because then we, years later, can fill in the gap. This is what it caused for me. Maybe it was this temptation. Maybe it was this frustration. Maybe it was this type of pain. Maybe it was this physical illness. Whatever it is, fill in the gap for you. But he says this. He says, Jesus responded to Paul and says this in chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Is that a disappointing statement from the Lord or what? <laughs> At the same time, it's the most encouraging statement we could hear from God. God's saying, I'm not going to remove that from you. I'm not going to take that from you. This thing that causes you to feel weak, this thing that causes you to stumble, this thing that reminds you that you are so weak, regardless of your heart's motivation or desire, that your flesh is weak, I'm not going to remove that from you because it's a reminder that you need me and that what I have for you, which is grace, is more than sufficient for you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I just 
I hope this connects with you at home, not in your strength, not in the best parts of your relationship with God, not in the best parts of your relationships with your family members or your spouse or your kids or friendships or neighbors or small group, whatever it is. I hope this connects in your weakness. I hope this connects with you in the places that you've dropped the ball, in the places that you've hurt people, or in the places that people have hurt you. I hope what you hear is the message from God himself today saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God has an invitation for us today. The invitation is not to bring our best self. It's not to bring our lives that are put together. It's not to bring everything that we, we've done well, that we're proud of, everything that's in order. No, 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 what God's invitation to us today is to bring the filth, to bring the sin, to bring the shame, to bring the guilt, to, to bring the hurt. God's invitation is to bring the messy to him because he says, what I have for you is grace. And it's in this grace that my power, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Our weaknesses open the door to his power being put on display in our lives for us and for the rest of the world to see. Jesus has the strength and the power to redeem broken situations, restore relationships, heal diseases, and rescue broken and sinful people, just like you and me. So as we approach him together in this next song and in this next week, I just wanna encourage you to bring your weakness. We're gonna go into what has become one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's called The Blessing. This is how we're gonna end our service today. And I just hope what you can hear is the message and the heart of God moving towards you not because of anything you've done, but almost in spite of what you've done. And here's the other thing. I mentioned this earlier that oftentimes we try to approach or we try to fix or we try to mend things of brokenness in our own lives and we try to do it by ourselves. And I just want you to know that we as a church staff and as a team have been praying for you and we've really come together to brainstorm and say, what is the best way that we can help meet some of your needs spiritually in this season right now, an unprecedented season that we haven't been before? What are some ways that we can do to bring you together and to help those that are unconnected, those that are by themselves, those that lack a community, a strong Christian community or family in their lives? And so here's the thing, we, we announced this a couple days ago. Uh, but we're doing this thing for the next season, probably this summer, called Home Churches. So if you're a small group, you can turn into a home church. Uh, or if you're looking for a home church, you can sign up for them on our website. There will be a link on this, on this uh, stream. But here's the thing. Here's the invitation I want to give to you. First of all, it's to those that are in small groups right now, those who do have a community. Who is it that you could invite to be a part of this home church community that meets every week throughout the summer? Who is it that you could invite to experience a relationship with God through your home church? Who could that be? Here's the other one I just wanna ask. Uh, for those of you who are not connected or are not in a small group or are not on a serve team in some capacity, um, would you please consider signing up for a group? Or maybe even this, would you consider hosting one? 
it's not too much, it's not too complicated. All we need you to do is to be a willing and hospitable host to invite other people, whether it's in your backyard, whether it's in your living room or in your driveway or in a park, whatever you're comfortable with, would you be willing to create a space and to create an environment where those that feel lost, those that feel disconnected, those that feel weak and defeated, would you be willing to create a space where they can feel welcome, where they can feel accepted, and where they can feel strong because they can continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus together. You guys, we love you. We miss you a lot. We miss seeing you. We're looking forward to the day that we can worship together and celebrate together. But for today, we're going to go ahead and close. So I just want to invite you just to pray with me as we head into this next song called The Blessing. God, we love you. We thank you for this message today that you remind us that our weakness is what opens the door for your power and for your strength. So God, right now, wherever people are at who are watching this right now, whether they feel close to you or far, whether they're on fire or have grown cold, Father, whether they've followed you for a lifetime or whether they've yet to make a decision to follow you, Father, I just pray that you would speak to your people today, that you would open the door, that you would remind them that grace is what you have to offer, this gift of grace, not based on our performance, but in spite of, of our performance. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. We just pray your blessing on all of your people today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.